Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you can find that on page 876. While you're finding your place, few topics, at least in my experience, uh, few topics in the Bible seem to generate people's interest as much as the end times. Right, people are, are fascinated by it. Uh, when you raise the topic of the details surrounding uh, the end of the world, everybody sits up in their seat and pays closer attention, uh, even like some of you are already doing, just uh, as, as I mentioned uh, that even people who don't believe the Bible are often interested in what it has to say about how everything's going to go down in the end. And wh whatever the reason for that is, the reality is that it has always been the case, even in biblical times. And we're going to see that this morning as Jesus takes an opportunity to teach about the present and future aspects of the kingdom of God. So we're in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to pick up this morning beginning in verse 20. It says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And so last week we saw that gratitude and thanksgiving are, are marks of a heart that has genuine love for the Lord. And now as we pick up the story again, here in verse 20, the Pharisees ask Jesus when the kingdom of God is going to come. Right, that the Jews are waiting for, for the messianic king from David's lineage to, to arrive. And they believe that when he arrives, God's enemies will be defeated, his people will be saved, and everything on earth will be made right again. And so they ask, when is all of this actually going to happen? And of course, as the Pharisees go, it's not entirely clear whether they're asking this honestly or if they have some ulterior motive in trying to discredit Jesus in some way by how he answers. But regardless of their intention, Jesus, as usual, answers them. In the second half of verse 20, he says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. And the meaning of, of the word observe here can be likened to a, a military scout or a lookout who, who, who looks carefully for any sign of enemy activity. Right? So in other words, Jesus is saying that there's not going to be any indication that the kingdom is on its way. There's, there's no signs that you could look for that would tip you off to the fact that the time is coming near. It's going to be sudden and seemingly out of nowhere. Right, but beyond that, in the second half of verse 21, he says, For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Right, he says the kingdom of God is right in front of you. It's all around you. You're looking at it. Right? And so Jesus has already emphasized back in chapters 10 and 11 that through his teaching and his miracles, 
people are experiencing the kingdom of God right now. That the kingdom has arrived in and through him. And so if you want to see the kingdom, then you have to see it in him. And if you don't see it in him, then you aren't going to see it at all. I remember a few months ago, some of you will, will remember this as well, there were some astronauts coming back from the International Space Station. And we saw on the news that if you, if you went outside at just the right time, you, you might be able to see them coming back to Earth in the, in the night sky. And so, man, we were all excited, and we let the kids stay up late, and we went outside at the, the given time, and we looked in the, the general direction that we were told to look, and we kept seeing it. We're like, look, it's right there. But then it was an airplane, or it was a satellite, or it was a bug flying in the light of the, the street lamp. All right? and, so, and then, later on, we found out that it had actually landed earlier than it was expected to. And so by the time we got outside and started looking for it, the, the time to see it had already passed by. We never really had a chance to see it. And in a similar way, Jesus is warning the Pharisees here that if they fail to recognize the kingdom coming through him, that they're, they're at risk of missing it entirely because the kingdom is passing them by. And so the, the kingdom is here, Jesus says. And yet at the same time, nobody who looks around would say that the kingdom has arrived fully, right? This, this world is crazier than ever. We still experience the presence and the effects of sin in our lives. There are natural disasters that wreak havoc, all around the world, we experience sickness and death, and, and on and on it goes. And so this initial section is introducing a tension that theologians typically refer to as the, the already and not yet dynamic of the kingdom of God. Right? And so in a very real sense, the kingdom of God is already here, but it's obviously not yet complete. Right? So while the ancient Jews expected the Messiah to come and establish the kingdom, Jesus reveals that the kingdom is actually coming in two different stages. Right? In, in his first coming, uh, the kingdom has arrived, and it's already operating in this world. Right? And because of that, we can experience aspects of the kingdom right now in our lives. Right? We can have a personal relationship with God that, that is different from how people under the old covenant uh, related with the Lord. Right? The power of sin, if not the presence, but the power of sin has been broken. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit if we have faith in Christ. And so we can grow in godliness and increasingly experience life the way it was intended to be, both in our lives and in our relationships with each other. But we continue and, and will continue to suffer under the effects of sin until Jesus comes a second time to finish the work that he started. And so in a very real sense, the kingdom of God is already here, but at the same time, it's not yet everything that it will be eventually. And Jesus moves on to talk about his second coming as we pick up again with verse 22. He says, And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So picking up in verse 22, Jesus turns his focus back 
to his disciples. And he tells them, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Now, that, that title, Son of Man, refers back to Daniel chapter 7, right, when Daniel sees a vision of a, of a future king who is given authority to rule over all things for eternity, right? not just a, a little kingdom for a lifetime, but everything forever. And as we've seen throughout the story, Jesus has adopted this title for himself, indicating that he is the Son of Man that Daniel saw thousands of years earlier. And the days of the Son of Man refers to the point in time where Jesus returns to establish the kingdom once and for all. And so Jesus says that there are going to be times when his disciples long for him to establish the kingdom. Again, the kingdom is here, but it's far from complete. And as the church continues to experience the brokenness of life in this world, it suffers persecution in its effort to spread the gospel around the world, it certainly experiences a longing for Jesus to return and make all things new. And this tension that, that we have to live with creates an environment where we might be tempted to take shortcuts. And so in verse 23, Jesus says that, that during this time, there will be many people who say, look here or look there. And certainly throughout history, there have been many people who claimed to be the Messiah or who tried to pinpoint exactly when Jesus would come back. Right? Despite the fact that Jesus clearly says that nobody knows and nobody is supposed to know, you shouldn't spend your time trying to figure it out, some people are convinced that what Jesus really means by that is try harder to figure it out. Right? And as we've discussed many times before, those attempts to figure it out often lead to disastrous consequences for the people who buy into them. Right? If someone tells you that they know when Jesus is coming back, the one thing you know for sure is that they have no idea when Jesus is coming back. And Jesus says at the end of verse 23, don't go out or follow them. And then he goes on to say that just like lightning flashes in the sky and gets everyone's attention, you know, you duck down and you say, whoa, did you see that? And of course, everybody around you did. That the same thing is going to be true about his return. It will be universally recognized. There's not going to be any question about it. It will be obvious to every single person on earth. Right? So if you have to think about it, or if you have to ask, then it's obviously not it. I want to pause for a moment, because for whatever reason, probably the same, people, same reason that people are drawn to, to thinking about the end times to begin with, there's a consistent need for us to be reminded that it's inappropriate for us to spend time trying to figure out things that God has chosen not to reveal to us. A lot of people get caught up watching the news every night and trying to connect the current events to things that are in the book of Revelation or other things that the Bible says about the end times, that this country's going to war with this country over here, and this politician is the Antichrist, and this thing over here, that's the mark of the beast, and, and, and so on and so forth. And you do have to realize that in 2,000 years of church history, we're like 0 for 5 million in, in all of these predictions, right? Every single prediction has, has been untrue, and your next prediction is also going to be untrue, right? And this is not just an innocent hobby that some people have, right? And many of us have, have seen it. People get stirred up with this stuff. 
And they lose their sense of peace and joy in life. And in some cases, they ruin their witness to the people around them because they get caught up in things that Jesus consistently tells us not to get caught up in, and they end up looking foolish in the process. Church, time and energy that we spend doing things that Jesus clearly tells us not to spend time and energy doing is a distraction from the things that he has actually called us to devote ourselves to. So let's be reminded of that this morning and adjust accordingly. But back to the text, we see that Jesus' return is going to be surprising, dramatic, and glorious. But first, before that can happen, something equally dramatic but awful must take place. And so in verse 25, Jesus says that, that first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Right? Luke reminded us last week that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he will be rejected by the Jewish leadership and put to death on a cross. And we know, of course, that behind the human element of execution, there is a divine element at work where Jesus is going to experience the wrath of God for the sin of the world so that anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in what he has done to save them can be forgiven of their sin and brought into the kingdom that he has come to establish. It's only through the cross that Jesus can redeem a people for himself, and it's only through faith in what Jesus has done on the cross that we can become those people. Before the glory of eternity, Jesus had to endure the suffering of the cross. And now in a similar way, before the glory of eternity, his disciples have to endure the difficulties of following him. So we are living in days when we long for Jesus' return, and Jesus is going to continue explaining the circumstances surrounding his return as we pick up again, beginning in verse 26. He says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather So picking up again in verse 26, Jesus explains that when he returns, things on earth will be very similar to how they were in the days of Noah before the flood and during the days of Lot before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you see in verses 27 and 28, he describes people as eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, and as eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. And to be clear, all of these Things are are good, normal activities. These are things that all of us do. 
The issue is that this was all that the people were doing. Right? They were distracted by all of the things of this life and, and not paying attention to spiritual realities. Right? The Old Testament stories emphasize the wickedness of these people, but Jesus emphasizes simply their preoccupation with the things of this world and their indifference to spiritual matters, which was the root of their wickedness. Right? And so uh, then uh, judgment came unexpectedly. People are, are going about their daily lives. Everything seems normal. And then out of nowhere, boom, judgment. And Jesus says that in the same way, when he returns, he's going to come back at a time and in a way that, that raises no suspicions that anything is out of the norm. Nothing that would, would cause people to, to think about something happening and then judgment will fall. And then in verse 31, Jesus says, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. And so in the ancient world, when an unexpected misfortune uh, came about, like a, an invading army perhaps, or a natural disaster, people's first instinct would be to get out of town. Right? But not before going back to get their, their family or their most precious belongings. Right? But Jesus warns against stopping to go get anything. And the implication is that on Judgment Day, there is no time to hesitate if you want to escape. Of course, we should understand that this is a, a figurative statement, right? because when Jesus comes back, there's not going to be uh, time for us to go get anything. And even if there was, we aren't going to need anything anyway. Uh, this is actually a warning about how we live now in preparation for his coming. And the point, which is, is one that he's already made more than once in the story, is that we have to be careful not to let anyone or anything come between us and him. In, in verses 32 and 33, Jesus adds the statement, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And of course, you know uh, the story as, as Lot and his family are, are fleeing from Sodom uh, before God destroys the city in judgment. Lot's wife looks back, which the angels had clearly instructed them not to do. And the implication of her looking back is that she is divided in her heart. And on one hand, she certainly doesn't want to die, but she also really doesn't want to leave either. There, there's a part of her that wants to go back. And because of that, the Lord judged her by turning her into a pillar of salt. And here, Jesus uses her as an illustration to make his point. Right? He, he, he says, don't let anything hold you back from escaping the judgment that will come at his return. He's already made it clear, again, that, that all of our relationships and all of our possessions in life must be submitted to his lordship. Right, if anything in our lives interferes with our loyalty to him, then it either needs to be adjusted or it needs to go. And then at the end of the passage, Jesus explains that as people go about their normal business, at his return, some will immediately be taken and some will be left. And he uses the images of people being asleep in their beds or, or at work grinding grain together. And, and over the last couple of generations, this verse has often been tied to the idea of, of the rapture, right, where God secretly whisks his people away to heaven uh, before sending judgment on the earth. 
But the language used here actually indicates that it's, it's those who are taken who are judged, and those who are left who are saved. Uh, some, much like someone might be taken prisoner or, or taken captive and arrested. Uh, and so this understanding lines up with the flow of, of the biblical storyline, right? And during the flood, all the rest of the earth is taken in judgment, and, and it's Noah and his family who are left behind and saved. Or, or Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed in judgment, and Lot and his daughters are left behind and spared. But in the exile, God allows his people to be taken in judgment. And it's only the small portion who remain, what, what Isaiah refers to as the faithful remnant, who are saved. But whichever way you interpret it, Jesus' point is the same. When he returns, some people are going to experience salvation, and other people are going to experience judgment. And so with all this in mind, in verse 37, the disciples respond to Jesus and they ask, Where, Lord? Where where is this going to happen? Or perhaps, where are these people going to be taken? And in response, Jesus says, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now how's that for a Halloween weekend sermon verse? Right? Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And again, the point seems to be that when it happens, we'll know. Right? This is kind of like saying where there's smoke, there's fire. And when you see smoke, you know that's where the fire is. And when you see vultures circling around in the air or, or gathered together on the ground, you know that, that something has died there. And so once again, when Jesus returns, we'll know everything that we need to know. And so in our passage this morning, Jesus teaches his disciples about the present and the future aspects of the kingdom of God. We see that the kingdom is both already here and not yet complete, and that Jesus' second coming will be completely unexpected. And a lot of people struggle with the cryptic nature of Jesus' teaching about the end times. He doesn't avoid the question by any means, but he doesn't give us the detailed answers that we might want. Why is that? Well, I can't say that I have the answer, necessarily, but I think I have an answer. And I think it has to do with the reality of human nature, particularly as it pertains to deadlines. Now, let's say you, you know a college student, and you ask them this, this afternoon how their semester is going and whether they've gotten to work on their research paper yet. And nine out of ten times, they'll tell you, oh, no, that's not due till." at the beginning of December. I'll get to work on that, you know, when it's closer to the time. Or perhaps you've known somebody who's been told by their doctor that they need to lose 20 pounds before their next appointment. And then a couple of weeks before the appointment gets there, they they start exercising and skipping out on dessert because they know the doctor's not going to be happy if I haven't lost any weight. There's something about having a deadline that, that instinctively makes us want to procrastinate until we can't wait on it anymore. We absolutely have to get going. But across the New Testament, we see that Jesus wants us to live with a consistent sense of urgency about his return. Think about what what if Jesus told us that the end is going to happen in 3075. That's when it's going to happen. Well, I think if if a lot of us were honest, that we would respond by that by saying, oh, so it's not going to happen in my lifetime? Okay, cool. And then we would just coast along in our lives because it's, it's not going to happen in our lifetime. Right? But by not giving us a clear answer and calling us to remain alert, 
Jesus positions us to make every day, every opportunity that we have count for the kingdom as we seek to grow in our faith and help others to follow him also. Right, just like the servants from the parable back in chapter 12 who, who stay about their work because they don't know when the master is coming back, we're supposed to be about the kingdom until Jesus returns. But beyond what we've already said, as we consider the relevance of our passage for our lives today, we can ask the question, are you ready for Jesus to return? Have you recognized your need to be reconciled to God? Have you responded to the gospel by repenting of your sin and by trusting not in anything that you can do, but, but in what Jesus has done for you through his life, death, and resurrection in order to be saved? You see, the good news of the gospel is while each and every one of us has rebelled against our true king in our sin, in this in-between time between the first and second coming, there is an opportunity for us to return. And God promises to give mercy to all who will seek it from him. Or if you've already responded to the gospel, then, then are you preparing for the return of Jesus? Are you consistently experiencing the reality of the kingdom right now in your life? In ways that stand out to the world around you and, and that points the world to something better than what they have? Does your character and your relationships and your work ethic point people to the kingdom, or do they reflect the values of this world? Are you prioritizing your life around the Lord and his kingdom, or are you allowing other things, the things of this world, to crowd out your loyalty to him? Do you get caught up trying to connect dots that the Lord has clearly said he does not intend for us to connect? Or are you focused on being a faithful disciple who makes other disciples? Friends, the Lord is coming back. And so this morning, may we be faithful to prepare ourselves and the people around us for his return. Let's pray together.